Audiogan is proud to partner with Unbox Cultural Futures Society and What Design Can Do. What Design Can Do is an international organization that seeks to accelerate the transition to a sustainable, fair and just society using the power of design. What Design Can Do is launching Make It Circular Challenge, a global design competition building a circular future in partnership with IKEA. This challenge invites designers and creative entrepreneurs from everywhere to submit design-driven climate innovations. The end goal to show the world that circular future is not only imaginable but actionable. Winning projects will be propelled into 2023 with a 10,000 euro in funding and a tailor-made development program. Submit your proposals online for free by 31st Jan 2023. Check out the design briefs and learn more about it on Make It Circular dot what design can do dot com link in the show notes and now today's episode this is audio gyan and i am your host kedar nimkar welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the indian creative world one man is equivalent to all creation one man is a world in miniature albert pike even in indian spirituality these words are commonly used and understood that the macrocosm is a reflection of our body which is the microcosm why am i talking all about this uh, well today i have a guest who deals with really intricate artwork which needs a lot of focus attention and precision we are talking about miniature art today i have shrijan javitas on audio gan Srijan is a miniature artist, traveler, writer, storyteller and also engages in heritage restoration. He's from Bhopal and we'll be talking about miniature art uh, which I'm almost clueless apart from following few people and looking at his work. So, welcome Srijan to Audiogan. It's a real real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for giving your time. Thank you Kedar. I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you and I really appreciate uh, your platform once or in touch and once I looked at the work that you're doing. So it's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Awesome. So yeah, as I sort of said uh, in the introduction that I'm little, uh, I'm very curious to know what this art form is and uh, apart from following and looking at some work, uh, I've never got a chance to speak to someone who's been dabbling with this art form. and broadly i've come up with like two parts to the conversation first is about generally understanding you what what got you into miniature artist uh, a miniature art and what is this form all about and the second is about the form itself right i mean just going deep into what is it uh, what are the subjects and um, yeah what's the future like so i'll start off with like your take again not a very uh traditional question but generally what's your definition of patience uh, because that's what i understood why one needs while doing this work and and what's your definition of art in general as well we'll we'll take it from there okay so uh, over the course of time there have been uh, painting like i've always painted ever since i was a child and i always remember uh, painting as something that comes as first nature to me but uh, when i started doing it professionally and uh, when it sort of became something that i knew i'm going to spend the rest of my life doing uh, it is a painting and the process of making art and coming from you from nothing to 
becoming and taking form into what it becomes. Uh, patience was uh, one of the key ingredients in that because uh, uh, once I got familiar with the scale, which I absolutely chanced upon because of circumstance that, you know, I was landlocked at a place with a notebook, which was a tiny size. And uh, I did not need anything bigger than that. I was very happy with just that size. And I started painting in that scale. And once I acquainted myself with that scale of work, uh, it was sort of almost teleporting at that point that I stopped existing in my surroundings. And I, uh, to work at that scale, uh, I needed to completely belong in it and my mind could not be anywhere else. And patience uh, was uh, something that... Uh, always accompanied that process while I would work in that scale because uh, once I'm in that zone where you know me and that painting and there's nothing uh, around it there's just that and the detail at which you're working you start breathing a certain way you start uh, you know just being really meditative when you're in that zone then patience sort of becomes a virtue in that rather than, uh, you know, the painting doesn't remain a quest any longer in which you have to reach the end of it and you're calculating the number of more hours that it would take. Uh, rather, you just completely dive into it, uh, forget the rest of your surroundings. And after the painting is done, you realize that, oh shit, maybe I was really patient while doing this because it looks quite intricate. But while doing it, I wasn't looking at it in the scale as I look at it after it's done as a viewer of what has come out of it. So yeah, patience is something that has definitely grown with time when I like, I know what it feels like to paint for 50 hours versus 100 hours versus 200 hours versus when I stop counting the hours anymore because <laughs> it, uh, uh, I won't like, there's, there's not a quest that I want to paint for these many hours and you know, this painting has to be a product of a thousand hours. So, uh, it is something that came very organically, patience. And uh, the more patient I was with a piece of paper, the more satisfaction I would get while I'm doing the last dot in that painting. So it is something that has also organically grown with the process of doing it. And the more time I'm spending with it, it's making me a very, very patient person. Otherwise, also, like besides my canvas, also in the way I live, in the way I believe I should react to anything outside of me and my painting in the world got it uh and and like i'm just like jumping the gun here but uh i'm sure we'll cover that in the later part is that what happens typically is do you sort of feel uh overwhelmed because if the subject comes first or sub something like that you have in mind now oh then is it intimidating because you have to like now reproduce it and and sort of put it on paper but i mean typically you, like in painting it it you can keep going on but here if you make a mistake or if you do something how does it work like uh, does it feel sort of overwhelming when you have a subject in mind no it's uh, sort of really exciting because uh, the first thing when there's a blank piece of paper in front of me uh, as small as a gesture of uh, taking a pen and making a line and a curve or a face in, you know, just a line fashion, 
it might take as little as a minute but there's a right happening inside of me while i'm making that line because i'm at my eccentric peak of the painting at the beginning of it when i'm doing the subject because once that is outlined i know that there are hours and hours of work that will go into very dedicatedly and very religiously painting it and rendering it in the way that i know how to paint and render so the beginning part of like uh, you know putting articulating the subject of the painting is probably i would call it the most exciting 15 seconds of the painting for me after that it becomes a product of dedication and like absolute forgetting and surrendering inside this piece of paper but it's not a, it's not intimidating at all it's like the rush of it keeps me fueled and excited enough to endlessly work on it for the rest of my days until the painting finishes and uh, uh, the other thing that you asked in this question was the fear of uh, you know sort of uh, messing up somewhere or you know doing something which is a mistake but i feel when you uh, know your medium really well and when you uh, not just in terms of the knowledge that you have about the medium but when you have spent a lot of time with that medium experimenting working and what seemed like mistakes when you look like, look at them in the past you know very naturally how to uh, uh, sort of uh, course correct uh, you know rectify rectify that mistake or to sort of cherish that mistake also like in in my personal paintings wherever a mistake like that which is uh, very human which is very like you know if i'm dipping the paint uh, and i've taken a little more water in the brush than i needed to and while i was reaching where i'm going to paint it drops at some place now it's uh, come to a point where i find it so exciting because while rectifying it i don't rectify it with the motive of covering it up but i sort of decorate it in a manner that the paint that it becomes a part of the painting and when i look mm. back at it i uh, remember it as uh, you know little by little uh, minuscule notches by notches i'm refining my skill so uh, yeah like i sometimes get excited uh to make mistakes so that you know the painting has another plan and another story of its own to tell in respect of how much i uh sort of plan it and organize it hmm that becomes part of it correct very beautiful in fact uh, these days i have started using these words zooming in and zooming out a lot so actually we jumped in with a zoomed in state of what does patience means to you we'll zoom out a bit uh and like if you can give us like a sort of a sense of what is miniature art i believe it was first called limming or something uh so if you can just give us sort of from your exposure like a brief history its origin travel any any That's thoughts why was it uh while you say brief history i'll try as uh, as much as possible you can just gesture me as well and i will just make it briefer than i can uh so uh basically limming was something uh which became very famously known and appreciated probably in the 14th uh, to 16th century i believe and uh, that uh, was the time when uh, you know there were monarchs and rulers like uh, king henry the 7th and uh, queen elizabeth the 1st and in that period of time uh, miniaturists uh, were uh, making 
palm-sized paintings, essentially, that was the scale of them. And these were realistic portraits of these rulers. And, of course, like, it also got furthermore diluted from the royalty to uh, something that uh, an aristocrat can also possess by uh, commissioning artists to make these uh, limbing, limbings of their own or portraits of families and stuff like that. But before that, much before that, in fact, like the earliest I would say that I know of miniature uh, was uh, during, you know, like I think 3500 BC and a lot of wow. time after a lot of time after that as well. The earliest example would be in uh, Indus Valley civilization where they had mm. these seals with the Bronze Age and stuff like that, excuse me. Uh, they had these seals which had embossed, uh, sort of very primitive embossed uh, sculptures almost on these circular uh, sort of rotating wheels. And uh, you would take wet clay and you would roll these on top of them and they would get an impression of this, wow. of what is on it. And the subjects were very, uh, you know, because this was a time before there were uh, distinct rulers, as we know of in history. The uh, the subjects were these cavemen traveling with, uh, you know, some fresh animal that they have hunted. And but uh, it was very interesting because the sense of primitive printing, the sense of uh, inlay, the sense of embossing. The sense of print making in terms of when the wheel finishes a full rotation on the wet clay, the scene repeats itself. So it starts looking like a caravan of these men who are walking with animals with them when it's actually just that much like the circumference of the circle is very interesting to look at. And that's, I would say, uh, the earliest examples of uh, miniature paintings, uh, miniature as an art form. Art form. And was... Uh, uh, after that, there was a lot of seals, really decorative seals uh, that were also miniatures and some of the finest examples, I might add, at that. And uh, another form of like, I'm trying to talk about everything uh, which is miniature, which is not miniature painting also, because it was a lot of different mediums in which the uh, miniature art form very much existed before the time we conventionally know of it as. Uh, and uh, so there was also like the most excellent example of miniature was probably, uh, I would say, uh, in the 16th century when there was boxwood Gothic uh, sculptures. So out of boxwood, there were tiny, tiny Gothic miniatures made with the life of uh, with the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus and the life of Mary and heaven and hell and angels and that is the most meticulous example of miniature till today in terms of the craftsmanship that it would have required you know these were pieces of boxwood that were probably three to four inches in their height and they would have an entire elaborate scene uh, which depicts the life of Jesus, which are carved out and uh, sort of made into 3D sculptures. And uh, they're used as jewelry, as lockets, as rosary beads. So in terms of the uh, fineness of a man's skill, I think that's the most, exa uh, most uh, extravagant example that I can give of miniature, which is the Gothic boxwood uh, miniatures. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, uh, to, sorry to interrupt you, but... Yeah, so just just like a quick question, 
before we move is that this small like working on a small piece was it sort of the necessity or because there were not many surfaces to do or was it just an as an experimentation that was just the uh, scale of showing the magnificence of labor like the smaller it is the more elaborate it is the more skill it takes and the finer example of that art it becomes and becomes the quest for uh, you know like doing something mind blowing with a small cube and it was time also which was very flourishing in terms of uh, appreciation that art was getting so uh, uh, material and material constraints weren't a part of it at all there were because uh, there was also inlay work with gold that would happen in this so there were no constraints in terms of there wasn't a bigger surface available it was also happening parallelly with stone with wood with brass with metal uh, but the excellence of how fine can fine be was uh, the quest when it comes to when we talk about gothic uh, boxwood miniatures and uh, yeah bes- uh, besides that i would say an integral uh, lineage of uh, miniature art was the illuminated manuscripts uh, that uh, uh, you can broadly when you look at it uh, in retrospect uh, with uh, as to like in the whole world where all it was flourishing and what all were the subjects of it you would see a lot of uh, islamic illuminated manuscripts you will see a lot of uh, roman uh, catholic uh, illuminated manuscripts which were essentially sacred texts that were decorated with really ornate uh, forms around it which was nature and uh, they were there were birds there were animals there were uh, no sorry there weren't animals there were birds there was uh, flora and fauna and really exquisitely done around sacred texts to decorate it over the over the you know sort of centuries and the sort of uh, faith and uh, the rule of the monarchs it translated into different uh, uh, you know languages almost like you know uh, arabic manuscripts was probably from the 7th century after that there was persian manuscripts which was uh, which is something that much later mughal manuscripts took from a lot from like western manuscripts and there was ottoman which is the Tur- turkish manuscripts which was probably in the 15th 16th century and uh, uh, that was istanbul and the flourishing time of the islamic manuscripts that they had and from uh, these manuscripts came a time between the uh, 16th to 18th century when the mughal rule started and uh, all these uh, miniature manuscript makers were called to uh, the mughal courts to illustrate scenes of the king uh, of akbar of his courts and at the same time regionally uh, uh, with influences of all the gharanas that there were already in india as uh, uh, to their geographical belongings uh it's uh, it further bifurcated into painting gods in this fashion of mughal paintings that had been in, had been, that had been transcended down from the persian manuscript miniature painters and uh, then with 
time growing uh, and how, how many centuries uh, these uh, ornamented paintings that were being made around uh, the manuscripts it became the hero because it uh, sort of refined itself over centuries and generations of miniature artists so much that it did not require uh, sacred texts to it did not require something that needs to be a supporting or leading element for sacred text, but it became an art form in its own. That's when the full-blown miniature painting saga of the Mughal art and everything that we know of as to... Uh, okay, so, and, and, and that's when um, in the... Uh, towards the 18th century, we started having a lot of paintings of... Uh, Krishna and Radha and the Ras Leela and uh, Durga and Shiva and you know all the events of mythologies being starting to depicted uh, to be depicted as uh, Mughal miniature paintings and uh, yeah that that I would say is pretty much the uh, scape that I know of miniature art altogether. The only thing that I think I have missed out is. Uh, Miniature also comes from the word like one thing is the scale of miniature paintings, which by standards today is something that should ideally fit either into your palm or it should not be any bigger than 25 by 25 inches because these are also scenes which are like an entire city that we are talking about or an entire Ram Darbar with probably 1000 characters. So 25 by 25 uh, inches. Uh, for to show the scale of the illustration is still a tiny piece of canvas. So that's the maximum size that a miniature painting can be. And uh, another rule of miniature art is that the subjects that you paint, be it a human being, be it a flower, be it an animal, it has to be at least one-sixth the size of the natural uh, subject. Wow. So, okay. so these these uh, framework or these guidelines which you are mentioning, these are again organically evolving. Are there sort of bodies? That, that who... been, see, in contemporary uh, uh, definitions, that has become a standard by organizations which are which have archived and documented and studied all about miniature art and. Everything that they have known of miniature art seems to uh, be in this scale. So, hence it has become a scale now. But uh, it was not, it, it is a contemporary rule, I would say. It wasn't something that was a parameter back in the day because these things were also presented in so many different mediums that uh, I don't believe it was possible to, you know, put a standard to that in the time that we know of as history now. Correct. And uh, yeah, one one quick question on the side is that what I see from how miniature sort of art is shown, it has a close relevance resemblance with Gond painting also, right? Are there are there instances where it was practiced in India before and somehow both merged or uh, did? So, I mean, where do you see it in India? Is there a parallel universe happening in India? Uh, for sure. I feel uh, that in, uh, when I think of a lot of uh, regions in India, uh, uh, Madhya Pradesh definitely, uh, like you said, Goon, 
बिहार एंड दैट साइड फॉर मधुबनी ओडिशा लाइक यू कैन कॉल इट द हीरो विथ इट्स पटचित्र because that is something that comes uh, that uh, traces back to probably 7th and 8th century when uh, miniature art uh, was being practiced in india in the east by the palas of the of bengal which are the buddhists and in the west uh, by the jains and uh, they were painting on palm leaves mm. and uh, Uh, that was really uh, that's a very like uh, uh, strong example of miniature paintings in india that you talk about you must have seen them in so many places these leaflets that sort of fold and become like a tiny thing it's it's like bamboo leaves and then you open it up and then it has the entire life of a god or a certain folklore or a story that they've drawn and carved as well so that's that's the earliest examples of miniature art in india and uh, a lot of other folk styles also uh, which gone would be one and like i said uh, uh, you know madhubani paintings and uh, the mughal paintings from rajasthan and down south in orissa they all fall under the para- parameters of tangibility of miniature art because oh, okay. they, uh, they have always been practiced in smaller scales unless they have been painted for murals like unless they are drawn on walls they were always practiced in scales which are smaller than the size which qualifies to be a miniature painting so i think invariably a lot of traditional art forms and folk art forms from villages in the country fall into the category of miniature paintings mm, got it got it okay and you also spoke about folklore so just like a follow up question on that is that can you give us like a peek into mythology or or folklore associated with this art form because that is also one of your subject interest areas i believe right yeah so um for example like you were talking about uh, macrocosm and microcosm uh it instantly reminds me of one of the most striking visuals that i have seen so fantastical and so whimsical which is uh, <coughs> the vishwavatar of uh, lord krishna when he presents himself in front of arjun while he is giving him the wisdom of mahabharat uh, he presents himself as the vishwavatar to him and that form of him when you look at it it has many legs and many hands and it uh, shows the entire universe all the realms in different parts of uh, his body there are literally like villages illustrated in his torso and galaxies in his lower part a uh, lower part of the body and his groin and it's very very whimsical to look at and uh, yeah that would be one of the tales that i think visually transcends into something very beautiful and something very uh, uh, very avant-garde almost you know when you look at it very uh, very whimsical to look at very uh, unlike what traditionally you see represented gods as so uh, that is something the the gyan that krishna gave arjun by showing him that he becomes he is actually uh, the macrocosm and that uh, you you must look at uh, the vishwavatar as krishna being the macrocosm it's it's one of the most fantastic visuals that i have seen another story which i painted 
the goddess for was uh, a folklore that I heard uh, from this place, this tiny village called Durgapur, which is in the northeast of India, in which uh, we always know about the story of Kali and her tongue sticking out because she was going to, you know, destroy the entire world, entire universe. And Shiva had to break her pride and her rage by lying down in the middle of the battlefield. And she steps on him. She sticks her tongue out as to what have I done? And that becomes Kali. And from there, the story doesn't go any further than that, right? That is the iconography of it. And that's where the story ends. But in this village, there is Durgapur. It's named after that. And it says that after stepping on her husband and after realizing what a grave mistake she has done, Kali wants to become Parvati again, like the wife of... Uh, she wants to take that avatar again. But she's filled and bursting with such oceans of rage that to suddenly become that, even for the goddess, isn't possible. And uh, that's when uh, 28 of her most... Uh, 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 the, her followers, people who worship her, 28 of her most uh, sort of devoted uh, uh, disciples come to her trembling with fear and they tell her that, uh, what have you done here? Like the kind of fear that you have put in our hearts by showing us what you've made of this world uh, because of your rage, we do not know how to get over it. So you have to get over it first and take another form in order to calm us down with like how hellish scenes you've shown to us is when uh, she realizes how much devotion is around her and she grows 28 hands with lotuses in all her hands and gives one to each of these disciples and that is support that that avatar that she takes for these 20, 28 disciples is uh, called Maya Tara and she is known as the calmest uh, form of the energy that Devi has taken, the feminine energy, the calmest form of Durga and it has the most number of hands that any uh, avatar of Durga has and it is something that I had never heard before. I had seen Durga with 20 hands, I had seen Durga with 12 hands and you know generally each uh, uh, sort of weapon that she has or each memento of knowledge that she has in her hand had a meaning to that particular avatar of hers. But this avatar had the most number of hands and every hand had uh, the same thing. And it was very striking for me to look at and uh, it's another, this, this folklore really moved me with how obscure it was, with how, how much it made sense in terms of, you know, when when you apply that knowledge in your personal life and uh, how uh, maximalist looking this figure of Durga also was. So uh, that is in fact the first time that uh, I got into uh, the love for folklore and taking that ahead as, you know, like if you ask me about my passion or about where I'd like to be or why I do what I do or what drives me to do it every day, I think... Uh, folklore and you know these obscure tales that I uh, don't hear of enough if I even make them live for a certain number of years in my paintings to like somebody who buys it somebody who likes it somebody who talks more about it because they've learned about that 
tiny little story from my painting i think that that's my absolute pleasure and passion uh to uh, choose my subjects in fact now got it this is so fascinating i mean i'm i would love to hear all the stories and and i think paintings and these sort of art forms are just taking these things along from generations to generations interpreted reinterpreted it's 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 just fascinating yeah and i started off with macrocosm and sort of microcosm uh so changing gears a bit and wanted to understand purely the art form and and the details of it so it seems like miniature art uh, you try to fit in like the universe or whatever your imagination is in that small little canvas which you decide uh so what's what's so special i mean is it the intricateness of creating that artwork is it what what's the most challenging part of it uh, when when uh, you as a creator wants to put in is it the the story the narrative or purely i mean in design at least we have these different stages of of growing as a designer right uh, first you try to play with tools then master the tools and then get into problem solving and then into strategy and so on and so forth in painting right. especially in the miniature context how does it sort of flow in um i feel in miniature uh, at any moment that you're in front of your painting whatever scale completely makes you shut off everything else and because it's humanly impossible for you to do the scale of detail that you're doing at that point of time with any speck of thought in your head besides what is happening between your eye your brain your eyes and the paper uh is all engulfing and that scale uh of course like varies uh every time you are in front of your paper sometimes i'm talking about making uh dots which are right next to each other with a tiny strand of hair that i've left in my brush after clipping off all the other uh, uh like bristles of the brush because i was just wanting to get deeper and deeper into it it's not for somebody else to see it's for myself because when i do that uh i don't expect people to be able to tell that yahan pe iska jo dot hai isme do bristle kam hai ya to teen bristle kam hai you know it's not done for the visual value of it but for engaging me in a scale when i have to shut everything out completely and that is the bliss of just existing that i think the scale of miniature art gives any miniature artist across uh, uh, the varied kind of works that they might be doing hmm Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that as a creator, that gives you satisfaction. But finally, an artwork. मतलब बोलते हैं ना कि भक्त हैं इसलिए भगवान हैं, right? Uh. So so finally, an artist wants to sort of share and and be recognized or at least being appreciated. So right. is there anything that is transpiring in the work, not just with your work or your style, but generally as an artist? uh and obviously with your work as well is that what what i mean yes it's it's a kind of a tricky question because you don't make art for like communication 
I mean, yes, there is, but it's not the intent. So what do people take away from it? Like, what do people look at when they look at, right? Right. So, um, so, so maybe I can I can just tweak mm, it a little bit, I'm, which is saying that most of what the work that I've seen yours has been portraits, right? So is, mm. uh, I mean, recently at least. So uh, is portrait particularly used for something, or is there a, is there a story for everything? Like, yeah, definitely. I think there has to. Be. Uh, a story and a focal point to uh, why you're making what you're making and uh, uh, for my work personally I like to switch like I, I like to be working on two three paintings simultaneously at the same time so if one uh, one of those paintings requires my absolute uh, dedication and worship towards my skill and the finest version of it there would be always a painting family on my desk which uh, handles the bursts of, uh, uh, you know, sort of creative eccentricity to balance out the discipline that this painting requires. Mm. So that's when the contemporaryness of the art comes in personally for me is that if I'm painting something very intricate and very elaborate with no room for error or mistakes, it is not a possibility that I can possibility that I can take a luxury of in this painting while I'm, you know, painting the finest leaves in a color that I have made, for example, I would take the brush away and I would just take it over the other piece of paper with a very free hand and, you know, just like wanting to release what is contained for so many hours being in this painting. So there are always two, three different topics, which I think is a very healthy practice to also have for somebody who makes paintings and does work with his hands for like 12, 14 hours a day. Because uh, uh, you reach a sense of monotony very easy. I know patience can help that and you can live monotonously while doing it as well and sort of test your limits. But it's very easy to regulate it also at the same time if you know, a stroke and the and how free you feel while just making a stroke for five seconds, it totally refreshes you and you can get back to it right away. It okay. works more uh, in, in a more uh, uh, well-functioning manner for me. It's almost like the pressure cooker valve, which is being released. Right, it's, exactly. It sounds like exactly. that. that. That's a very, very apt example for it. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, recently, like uh, all the recent work that mostly you would have seen of mine is, again, my, uh, you know, I, I love uh, a lot of literature, a lot of poetry and a lot of, uh, 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 you know, music that has been sung and the lyric of it, which are known as masterpieces of uh, musical works. And uh, so, like very recently, I've, uh, not very recently, probably like two years back, I started working with a writer friend of mine who writes these beautiful couplets which are about love and longing and just like a very romantic uh, collection of 100 uh, couplets that he has written and I'm making 100 paintings for them. So yeah. essentially they are portraits of lovers with each other. So maybe that is why that is mostly recently what shows off my work because I'm in the process of uh, completing that book right now. But uh, 
I do enjoy uh, doing a lot of, uh, you know, flora and fauna and really intricate what could look like Mughal gardens as well. And it is just not something that I've been able to get back to once I've started doing portraits because it's something that is being very well received for me. So it keeps my hands full all the time. Got it. Got it. So speaking about these different subjects, um, I mean, yes, you covered a wide spectrum when you gave like a brief landscape and the history of uh, miniature. But are there typically any subjects, especially in India, apart from folklore uh, and and mythology and whatever, religion? Uh, I think religion makes probably the spine of most of what uh, we know mm. miniature art uh, with uh, the most strongest garana of it being in Rajasthan, the miniature Mughal paintings of uh, Rajasthan. And it is about Mughal women, portraits of Mughal women or about gods and different stories around them. But like you said earlier as well, that you see references and sim- simil- similarities between gold art and miniature. Those are uh, paintings that qualify as miniature art but they are not made with the intent of being them. Mm. Mm. So, uh, so, so the subject itself is much wider, but what is made with the intent of being miniature art pretty much has a lot of portraiture and a lot of, uh, you know, painting gods and, uh, you know, like divine figures as the crux of the subject of miniature art as we know it today. Mm-hmm. And is there a threshold to, so when you're pushing the boundaries on really exploiting the medium, have there been instances in the history where the subject is irrelevant, but it could be any mundane subject, but purely the art form is sort of qualifying it to be an art. You know what I mean? Like just the subject mm-hmm. is very mundane or or it's irrelevant also, but purely the, the craftsmanship is helps it qualify to be a art. I don't know if that's a valid question also. <laughs> no, no, I'm, 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 uh, I'm trying to think about it. And I think uh, uh, it becomes uh, like, uh, I wouldn't say that flora and fauna uh, can qualify as a mundane subject because it, it <laughs> takes a lot of mastery to do that. But like when, uh, I would say when I was talking about uh, the uh, gothic boxwood time for instance uh, a lot of jewelry decorations which were purely ornamental and had no meaning or story to them so if there's a mm. bead and it has you know a motif on it which with no specific meaning but it was just done with the purpose of decoration i don't know of any abstract sub, uh, subjects as like maybe that was something that could have been an answer to your question but that's not something that I'm aware of uh, but uh, de- purely for decoration purposes there has been miniature art that has flourished across mediums which is oh. just done with the intent of decorating a space yeah. to look visually inhabited. Correct. I mean just pure aesthetics kind of a thing. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I have last two questions. Uh, one is how mini can a miniature painting be like 
not just for the fun of it i mean these days you have that intricate artwork where wo chote se rice ke dane pe bhi kuch likha rehta i'm not talking about that but generally uh, by and large like is it like a matchbox size where you're talking about like deep philosophy or, or i don't know how how what's the m- smallest that one can go see uh, like you mentioned like if you wouldn't have sent the rice cream then i would have definitely <laughs> and uh, you know but like what see on it like these are things that like you know sort of seem a little ridiculous to me um, i uh, i i might sound uh, weird saying that but like the quest of showing something which is humanly pretty much impossible in that scale i don't understand that so if you see a very like tiny little uh, scenery that is painted with just like three strokes or something on a rice grain just because you want to make it that small uh, if you would rather paint that scenery on a matchbox i would understand that more if you could detail it out more it would you know do more or move me more as an artwork uh, but uh, like the person in india ram ram uh, ram prasad varma i believe who holds uh, a world record for the smallest painting uh, in the world has drawn portraits of uh, bhagat singh and mother teresa on a, a mustard seed which is wow. way tinier than a rice grain and uh, it's it cannot even be documented well because it's so tiny so when if you look at it on google or chance upon it it looks like a tiny blurred image with pixels on it but that is the finest that people have gone uh, and gotten world records for it but uh, from a very uh, from the culture and the lineage point of it if i have to answer that question for you uh then uh, probably i would say in the 14th 15th 13th century during the persian uh, uh, time of the illuminated manuscripts the miniaturists and and also during the ottoman periods in the 16th century which would be uh, the excellent uh, manuscript paintings in miniature in the istanbul region the miniature miniaturists used to paint with uh, porcupine spikes because yeah. that was the finest uh, that you did not have to carve manually to make the finest because the idea was that if you if a human being if a mere mortal makes something the finest it is not finer than what the immortal god has made so in nature the porcupine uh, spike was the finest and the miniature artist for generations and generations used to paint with that and uh, in fact like there's a book uh, called uh, my name is vet by oran pamuk which is about the miniature artists and the time when uh, from persian uh, miniature art it was going towards the mughal time in the 16th and the 17th century and they were being all called to the courts of akbar to paint for him so the miniaturists of that time used to paint with this porcupine spike and the masters you over decades and decades of painting and that fine scale uh, which is the matchbox scale that you were talking about uh, they used to lose their eyesight but their mastery was so good 
that even after becoming blind, they used to paint with absolute precision. So uh, there were actually younger miniaturists who used to practice uh, painting so much and uh, and almost lunatic like. And yeah, so uh, the masters used to paint uh, all their life and uh, lose their eyesight and still paint perfect paintings uh, like their vision wasn't lost at all. And younger miniaturists used to strive for that, that they wanted to paint almost like lunatics until they lose their eyesight. And when they did not lose their eyesight, they used to poke their eyes with these porcupine spikes, uh, which were their brushes, in order to lose eyesight so that they can be, uh, they can become one with the masters in terms of their stature of uh, how respected they are at, as miniaturists. So wow. that was how almost to the point of insanity, uh, the scale of miniature art got to the masters who are uh, uh, known as like, you know, the pillars of this magnificent uh, thing called miniature art. Amazing. Amazing. I, I'm, I'm short of words. It It's, yeah uh yeah while you were saying i was also remembering that uh, i had gone for one workshop where one of the person had said that they like especially uh during at the time of invasion and lot of silk and lot of cotton was uh exchanged there were like right. there were like uh saris which could fold in a small matchbox so i think the quest to condense a lot in in again going back to the microcosm has been quite a, a bigger right. quest in the in the world uh, at large so one last question um uh, uh srijan is that with digital age and obviously technology um like how are these sort of how do you see the future does does it sort of i mean an ipad and other places you can now zoom in 20x and make something and then zoom out get the right. desired output uh but the warmth and the the actual stuff that is or put on paper uh you have to like a xerox can't do like justice to it or a copy of that image uh even if it's digitized won't do that justice so what's what's the future like for you? And since you are in that community of the artists doing same kind of work, what's the sentiment there? Uh, just a flavor of for us. So uh, in terms of achieving the visual uh, uh, scale of detail, like you said that you can zoom in twenty uh, x times and do that, uh, it is possible. But when it is done uh, by hand and uh, what the artist goes through when he's performing at that scale, uh, that uh, sort of uh, expression and that feeling cannot be replicated in that scale, right? Because technology will tomorrow also let you uh, work probably 40x instead of 20x. And then, uh, you know, like that, digital medium, I don't know when it will saturate itself because it will always be subject to technologically uh, how much more fine you can go in it. 
but it's more articulate i feel when you're working on a human scale with your hands because there is only like i cannot go finer than one bristle of my brush like that's a fact for me human and for my eyesight and for the sturdiness of my hand possibly and uh, i think uh, i think for me personally i left digital media step by step by step and i got more away from it because it couldn't give me the satisfaction and the joy of uh, what you know getting your hands dirty and doing things with your hands uh, does and uh, in no manner and while saying this am i taking away from how beautiful people's work on virtual media is right now you know on instagram there are so many of these uh, graphic collage artists who are making some aesthetically astoundingly beautiful work i'm not taking away from the from that but what working with hand does for me is probably the kind of joy and satisfaction they get in that medium which is the hope uh, to be honest that you know maybe they get that kind of satisfaction with that medium but definitely not me and uh, uh, the other part of your question is the future of um miniature art i would say uh the that uh the best kind of future for miniature art that i can hope for is the past of miniature art because it's so glorious and it is the something which is uh which are which is like the uh the the, the standards are so excellent and so close so perfect that uh the best thing that i can hope for for the future of miniature art is to take any bit that you're capable of from the past of it mm beautiful beautifully put it yeah i think um, this is a good note to end uh, it's it's such a fascinating world that i would definitely want uh, you to have again where we talk more about uh, more nuances about the subject where i will hopefully be able to do better research and and come up with like yeah we is it just endless uh, given the folklore stories given the uh, the 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 porcupine thing that you said is just amazing cool i think I, thanks so yeah you want to add anything friend. yeah yeah no i i, I was just like sort of seconding seconding you on what you just said that uh, in the one or two days that we've discussed this for uh i tried to pack as many uh, beautiful obscure stories from here and there that i could and uh, i was very aware in my head that i shouldn't take too long answering because you know baat lagi for do tala jayegi is the situation that always happens to me so i tried to do my best sticking to your questions and uh, i'm sure like it's it's a conversation that we can endlessly have and it would be absolutely my pleasure to join you whenever Awesome. If people have to follow your work, uh, you want to plug anything as a concluding thought? Like uh, you, your sort of you take workshops or you sort of like any anything that you want to plug in the end. I uh, I mostly live in my bubble and uh, I okay. uh, try to myself out of it and uh, you know sort of collaborate and do new things, try new mediums with. Uh, other people that is something that i'm doing right now but uh, 
for now the only place is instagram like exactly like how you must have stumbled upon my work there that's the only place where all my work is there for people to see which is uh, jadugar by shrijan and uh, that's what's what's really the story that. with jadugar it uh, it is it's something that just happened while i uh, you know graduated from my college took uh, i graduated from design college and i had studied fashion design and i did a year of uh, corporate work with uh, a big company which paid me the kind of money that i thought was really important to start off with and uh, one day i just came back home and i knew that i'm not going to do this job and uh, the only uh, exhale that i had out of feeling the kind of frustration that i did that evening was i was painting uh, a magician and uh, i wrote jadugar on it and uh, uh, that name just stuck around and uh, i never felt like i needed to change it in any manner because with time when the detail grew uh, in my work uh, Uh, people started enjoying that name also that yaar tune to jadu kar diya is painting me and it's just something that i think is something that will stick around with me for the rest of my life awesome i'm also uh, going to add some links in the show notes uh, for people to follow you and instagram twitter so thanks a lot uh, shrijan for giving your time it was just wonderful to have you on the show Thank you so much too. I absolutely enjoyed it, Kiran. Okay, that's it. Thanks. And that's it from today's Gyan session. For show notes and more Gyan, visit audiogyan dot com. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at audiogyan moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.